Vivian Kanchian holds a master's degree in public health and a bachelor's in nutrition. She is a firm believer in food as medicine and has seen its incredible power to heal firsthand. Some of her accomplishments include helping successfully launch and grow a food is medicine program in Los Angeles County from inception and working alongside an integrative doctor to help women of all life stages balance their hormones using food, nutraceuticals, and lifestyle interventions. Vivian is most passionate about raising awareness around the importance of health sovereignty and how regenerative agriculture is the ideal solution to improving our food and water quality, food security, climate, and the health and prosperity of all living beings. She is endlessly inspired by nature's cycles of stress, rest, and regeneration. Wow, this conversation with Vivian was epic and really educational for me. I... I'm so grateful for her to drop so many pearls of wisdom here. And we covered such a range of topics, nonetheless all connected, but um, really got to to go deep into some of these perspectives. Um, Everything from the price of organic food and government subsidies of corn and wheat, to food deserts, to our sick care system, which she likes to refer to as a subscription model, and I would definitely second that um, for sure. And even into the COVID response and her perspective being a public health professional. So lots of insight here. And most importantly, she really brought some tangible solutions to the conversation, which I really value, especially in these times where we're all pretty aware of the imbalances um, in every dimension, every system surrounding us. So um, she talked about the importance of getting our hands in the soil and connecting to our local food growers and really just um, shared some empowering actions to take for us to reclaim not only our health but our food our waters and to really come back into balance with the earth and restore wellness to her and all living beings vivian welcome to the decolonizing healthcare podcast thank you so much for being here today Uh, thank you so much for having me i'm super excited to talk on this very important topic with you Yes. And um, I am really honored that you're here because your work in public health and nutrition has been so monumental uh, and and really a pillar for what is needed in the world today um, and education. And can you share a little bit about how you got into this work? Sure. Well, thanks for that amazing intro. I don't know about monumental. But thank you for the compliment. Um, So I got into nutrition. I've kind of always been interested in food as medicine. I grew up in an Armenian family. And, um, you know, my dad is famous for disregarding doctor's orders for as long as I can remember. Um, Early on, and I think in my teens, he was very, um, he had an issue with his joints, his knee. Uh, gave out on him and he went to a doctor and I remember very distinctly he went to the doctor the doctor gave him his orders surgery you would walk with a cane um, and he was like I'm not doing this (laughs) Uh, he came back home he found this Harvard study at the time he went to the library and he looked 
uh, at microfish on how can I heal myself? You know, how can I heal, heal my joints naturally? And I'm assuming it's some, it was some kind of inflammatory arthritis because I had something similar happen Mm. to me. Um, And he healed himself by eating chicken feet (laughs) by um, he found a Harvard study and it said that if you eat this specific kind of collagen, it's chicken collagen, that it would, um, it, it takes the inflammation away. So he's had like a few flare ups over time, but um, he just, he's healed himself with chicken feet. And the alternative today, what doctors are offering today, if you go see a rheumatologist, is they're offering uh, steroids and they're offering chemotherapeutic drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Repurposed to calm down inflammation, but also to make you worse as you take those medications. So just the fact that I kind of saw how powerful powerful food can be and how it's just been a big part of our culture. Food is love, you know, food is medicine. Um, those are the things that really got me um, to do this as a career. So I went I went to school late, got my bachelor's in nutrition. I got an additional certification in alternative nutrition. And, um, and then I worked briefly with a naturopathic doctor. I've really dabbled, you know, and that's why I kind of know you know, a little bit about everything, but not too much about any one thing. And um, so, yeah, that that was kind of my journey into public health and nutrition. Beautiful. I I love that story about your father, because um, it it reminds me that so many, so much of our um, disconnection from our food has, and what I've seen, you know, as a nurse, as well as has really led to these, these Ill, chronic illnesses or, you know, preventable illnesses. And, and, and I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts around that and, and the disconnection from our food currently in this country specifically? Well, I think there's, I mean, it's so disconnected right now, right? Um, we go to the store, like I probably wouldn't eat chicken if I had to kill a chicken myself. That's a very good example. So every one of us have a degree of disconnection from our food. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think more than even disconnection, we've kind of been conditioned to to think that good food must be expensive, right? Mm -hmm. Why is our organic food expensive today? Because it isn't subsidized by the government. The government subsidizes corn and soy and wheat Mm -hmm. and produces more of that. And that's why the volume drives down right the um the cost so um i think we have a disconnection to the to the way our system operates and the way it kind of cyclically operates to for taxpayers to pay into a system that makes our planet sick that makes us sick and then again we pay out of tax paying dollars for those sicknesses Wow. So, um, so all of, all of those medical, right. Or medic, I should call it Medicaid for your national listeners. All of those are funded through taxpayer dollars, right? So the taxpayer just keeps getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so how do we, how do we change that? I mean, I think 
one of the answers to that. I was just actually speaking with, I don't know if you're familiar with Chef Gruel, and I might have mentioned him to you, but mm. mm-hmm. uh, he's a chef here in California, actually out of San Diego, who was famously very vocal about lockdowns and mandates and insisted on keeping his restaurant open. And mm-hmm. his video went you know, viral. Um, and he was one of the big things that he said is it's important to know your local food producers, right? Because you can actually see the food grow, you get your hands in the soil, or just have a relationship, right? Like I see you once a week, I see you twice a week, you're my farmer, you're an actual human being, you know, Mm -hmm. who enjoys growing food, who doesn't actually, um, isn't made sick by the food that he's growing. You know, that's another thing that we don't understand. We buy organic maybe for ourselves, but what about the people that, you know, are growing our food? Mm-hmm. We're being sickened by the, you know, the conventional growing methods that we have. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I really, that really resonates. Um, and, and I know that you have been very active and, uh, you know, with Regenerate America and, and, and also with um, your work with Project Angel Food as well. And, and I'm, it, which, it, you know, can you share a little bit more about that as well as, as, as well as your work on, um, you know, working as a, with type two diabetes and how food is literally is medicine for these conditions. And also like, what is the impact currently with the cost to um, Americans for medications for these chronic illnesses? Sure. Um, So I got into the nutrition business with a very upstream frame of mind. Um, I got into public health hoping that I could actually bring that upstream frame of mind to to the industry. Uh, I don't find that there's really a place for that right now with the structure of our healthcare system and our... um, yeah, I should call it a sick care system. Yeah. Um, so at Project Angel Food, I, um, you know, I, I help launch a food as medicine program. So this is something that states are becoming more and more um, interested in because it saves them dollars and the state actually fines them now for not um, looking at helping people um making people better, right? Doctors were incentivized per visit up until pretty recently because it just, it got so out of hand on our healthcare system between type two diabetes, between congestive heart failure, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they began funding these programs. So, you know, a hundred thousand dollars here, $200,000 there. It's a drop in the bucket, but, um, So this program was for L.A. County um, residents who had congestive heart failure, largely black and brown, largely low income people. And it was a 12 week program and um, a diet specifically tailored to people with congestive heart failure. And so what I saw was, again, miraculous, right? Um, People getting the food that they need. Uh, people living in wow. food deserts who may have a convenience store to shop at, you know, yeah. who are buying Nabisco crackers for lunch. Right. Um, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood. I'd never seen folks my age having limbs removed for type 2 diabetes, 
having congestive heart failure at 30 years old, you know, wow. And this is what I was seeing and preventable, all of it preventable. Right. 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 So what a damn shame. Um, I appreciated doing this program. I appreciate that there are programs like that out there, but what if we actually did this before people got really sick and lost a limb? Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, um, so that was kind of the perspective that Project Angel Food brought to Kiss the Ground. Um, I had been really, I had been searching. I knew that I wanted to work somewhere in the climate change sphere, but also bringing my food background to that. And um, I read Mark Hyman's Food Fix. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it really opened my eyes. It, it kind of got me interested really in food policy and how we could change it. Um, you know, to, to make real effect, real change. And, um, and after that, I actually reached out to kiss the ground. Uh, I said, I, I have to work with you all. Um, I hounded them until they hired me. <laughs> and um, even though I'm no longer working with them, I sp- still very much, you know, support and believe their mission and what they do. And because it's holistic, right? Mm-hmm. People are human beings are from humus, from soil. That's where the word comes from, right? Um, So what happens to humans when we start growing our food in a lab or we start growing our food hydroponically with water, no soil? Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the questions that I think we need to be asking. Um, So yeah. Sorry, I don't know if that answered your question. What was <laughs> no, no, totally. That was great. That that's great. I love. I I've also been I've too been learning more about soil health and and I know that you know your passion is also the soil to human health, um, in that area and the gut microbiome and mm-hmm. and 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 this kind of you know leads me to my next question uh, around COVID response and, and, you know, something that really stood out for me as a nurse and watching the, uh, the response by public health uh, officials and my own questions around that whole, that whole time. I'm curious if you could shed some light as to why we didn't, why we weren't talking about the already detrimental state of health among Americans and and then looking at those who were getting sick from COVID, um, if you could share a little bit more about that, as well as um, your perspective as being Armenian and your lineage um, and and the history and the context be- behind what your ancestors have experienced. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a lot, so feel free to no <laughs> unpack it how unpack it however you you would like. Yeah. Um, so with regard to COVID response, you know, like many other people, I was watching and observing and trying to make sense out of it with the science background that I had. And I was like, what am I missing? You know, like, it's a virus, you know, um, okay, I-, I could see conceivably how masks may help. We're now finding out that maybe they don't help. But, mm-hmm. you know, with an open mind and with trust in the authorities, uh, because I, I did you know, I did have trust in the authorities uh, to a great extent. Um, But I also knew that I personally, um, you know, I think about what I put in my body. I don't even take an aspirin if I don't have to, you know, 
I'll let my headache go for a couple days before I take the aspirin because I know it's hard on the liver. You know, these are things that we don't think about. So I was thinking about this this morning and I was like, you know, I think our healthcare system is like, it's based on a subscription model, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever watched Shark Tank, but in Shark Tank, all of the sharks go nuts for a subscription model. Like you need something that's going to break down or that somebody's going to have to renew every single month mm-hmm. so that you can keep making profit mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what our healthcare system is based on. And, you know, I've also been thinking a lot lately about the Flexner report, which I know that I mentioned to you. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a report, basically, a lot of Americans may know, some people may know about this, but a lot don't. Why is our healthcare system focused on sick care? Why are we constantly, like, you know, having to fix people? with drugs, with vaccines, et cetera. And it seems to be getting more and more complicated, right? Mm -hmm. And again, it's this cyclical thing, right? We come from the soil, right? If our soil is not healthy, California is a perfect example of that. Um, We're a farming town and we have a lot of Mm -hmm. conventional farms. There are a lot of neurological diseases in California and that's no accident, right? A A lot more people with Parkinson's in California that's no accident, right? Um, wow. So so I think it's based on a subscription model. And the Flexner Report is kind of what ushered this in. Uh, in 1910, there was a report published. It was financed by the Rockefeller, the Carnegie's, uh, J.P. Morgan, Chase, as you know him today. Um, mm-hmm. And they paid this... Um, German education reformer, not even a medical person, right? Just just a guy who knows education and how to reform it. And he basically went around, collected all this information across the nations, um, across the U.S. and Canada, um, hospitals and doctors, and, you know, basically created a whole new system of what is acceptable medicine, right? Wow. And it's more complicated and it's based on drugs and it's based on people getting sick and then, you know, giving them medicines and ideally medicines that they'll have to take for a lifetime. And so all of the homeopaths, all of the naturopaths, kind of like what you're seeing today, you know, with some of the more vocal and alternative practitioners Um, who are basically getting tarred and feathered for doing good work and for caring for their patients, you're seeing um, something very similar to what happened with the Flexner Report in 1910. And it was just on the heels of World War I. So World War I, I don't know if it's on the heels, actually. World War I begins in 1914. The Flexner Report comes out in 1910. And so, you know, you have an exhausted people after the war is over in 1918, easy to kind of usher in, right? A kind mm-hmm. of medical system that you that you might want. And so that's what happened. And if you look at the numbers, so I'm not very good at remembering numbers, but I did look this up today. So like, for example, um, in the 1900s, uh, John Rockefeller was worth $21 billion. Andrew Carnegie was worth $3.5 billion. Okay. And oh you look God. at some of the wealthiest men today. We have Bill Gates, now worth $112 billion. Okay. 
Oh my God. Five times as much as the richest person in 1937, John Rockefeller. Warren Buffett is worth $123 million. Together, they're worth $250 billion almost. And, and these two are connected, right? So they are giving each other money in the name of philanthropy and receiving tax uh, credit for that. Mm. And uh, yeah, so Warren Buffett recently um, gave money to Bill Gates and the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as his philanthropic donation. Is that really philanthropy? Isn't that, don't you give that kind of money to people who actually need it? <laughs> exactly. I know we so, should do, we could do like a whole episode on like philanthropy and how that is the whole scam around that. Yeah. Completely. And, so, and, yeah. and quick, quickly, Vivian, cause I, cause when I was, you know, thank you for sharing the Flexner report because prior to our conversation, I had heard about it, but I didn't really dive into it. And so, and so then I've gone down a couple rabbit holes with it. And, and, and it's interesting is when we're talking about this topic of decolonizing healthcare, right? Because like this report and, and even in, in the papers that have been written reflecting on it has shown that this eliminated medical education for African Americans and the, and that this was that the AMA used this report to advance their agenda that pr- pr- protected the professional and financial interests of their white male membership. So it's so interesting that like, I mean, not interesting, but, but it's like, here we go, like very clear intersections of these reports that completely transformed medical education and the outcomes of health when we look at um, communities of color, right? Within, within, like, and we wonder why. Well, but like, here we go. It all stems, a lot of it stems from our education system, right? And what kind of, you know, like, I know that my friends and colleagues who were physicians, I mean, they get like one nutrition class in their entire medical education. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know, that's just speaking about nutrition, let alone the origins of medicine in this country. Well, that's, that's just it. You know, um, another thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and I shout out to Callie means for sparking this thought, but it's um, the, you know, complicating things means profit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If doctors really thought that they can tell their client to eat differently I mean, some of them are catching on, right, and and doing their own homework. But if doctors really thought that there is a toolbox in nutrition, then how how would the drug companies make money, right? Right. Um, I don't blame doctors. You know, when I went to see a rheumatologist when I had my joint issue, and he told me I would need to take chemotherapeutic drugs for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, wow. And then I didn't do that. And I went to see my integrative doctor and she put me on a fast. And then I went on an anti-inflammatory diet and my system normalized. So that would have been a lifetime, right? Of me getting sicker and them getting richer. Yeah. Just one person. Imagine how many people are experiencing that and how much richer the pharmaceutical companies are getting because of that. Right. And, and also when we're talking about food deserts and when you mentioned, you know, um, grocery 
access and people shopping at convenience stores. I hundred percent have seen that, um, you know, being in the Bay area, um, and living in close to Richmond, California, and my patients being in Oakland, that was, that was very common, very common. I mean, Richmond is a food desert, I, you know, and I, and so you see these outcomes and these, and that people don't have access to uh, these other perspectives on health because they're expensive, because they're not covered by insurance. They're not um, easily accessible. They might not have transportation. There's also, um, there's just also so many limitations, right? Like who's going to watch your kids so that you could, if you're working three jobs, who's going to take, you know, watch your kids so that you can go see a naturopath or um, an acupuncturist or, you know, so it's, there's so many, when we like unpack this, the disparities and the inaccessibility of uh, practitioners who have, uh, who have these perspectives that could potentially be very beneficial and prevent people from getting these unnecessary surgeries or being on these, like you said, these chemotherapeutics, um, that's just not even accessible. And it's like, well, why is that? There's so many reasons why. Um, and, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, like coming back to COVID response, you know, like how, how did that impact you, your perspective and what, you know, your work around food as medicine, food and health sovereignty, like, can you share a little bit about the intersection of this work and decolonizing healthcare from your perspective? Well, it made me more, much more curious. I mean, I've always been a curious person, but it made me more curious. I was like, okay, what am I missing again? Like, why is zinc not being offered? Why there are these studies coming out on vitamin D3? Why is that not being offered? We know that it's safe. We know that like it doesn't require scientific testing. Why are we not doing that? Right. So um And why are we being told to to stay inside and not go outside and you know, be in the sun, go to go to the park, right? <laughs> Just yeah. these basic things. I was a little late to that party, honestly. I was like, well, maybe that makes sense. Maybe we should stay inside in this, you know, like sure. um, a sure. little late, but not three, two or three years late, you right. know, um, right. it, I, it makes me sad when I see people outdoors, even now in California, you're from California and I know you've probably seen this too. People are outdoors with masks on by themselves mm-hmm. or in their cars with masks on by themselves. Like that's oh, not yeah. healthy. Right. Um, yeah. And what kind of fear have we instilled in them? You know, has the media instilled in them? Um, So, I mean, I think the intersectionality of, you know, obviously owning our food, owning our bodies, um, we're getting farther and farther away from that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, children are almost like the ward of the state here in California, right? parents are almost not able to, to decide what's right for them. Mm-hmm. Starting with the vaccines, like why shouldn't, if the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission, why are kids being forced to take the vaccine? Um, yeah. So the goalposts mm-hmm. got changed over and over again. And, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm learning is that specifically there's an interest now, it seems to me as I've been watching to monetize the vaccines, you know, in chickens, in pigs, in people, in pets, and to monetize um, 
food, like digitally printed lab made food, right? And why is that? Because these things are patentable, right? Most recently, um, I was just reading an article about lab grown meat and how this is supposed to like help save the planet, right? And actually studies have found that it could be as much as 25 times as damaging to the planet. Oh my gosh. (laughs) As uh, regular beef. So why are we choosing these solutions? The people aren't choosing these solutions. The people would never choose that. So why are they being shoved down our throats? Simple, simply it's, it's about the profit bottom line. Um, and very similar to the Flexner report. Now there's, you know, this focus and interest on monetizing vaccines and monetizing lab grown food. Now, whether or not nature lets that happen for very long, I don't know. It seems like nature doesn't want that to happen, but who knows? (laughs) Yeah. It seems that she's, uh, being very, very clear about what's needed right now. I mean, if we're looking at what is going on with the earth literally being on fire and inflamed um, and, and, you know, what happened to Maui, what's happening, what's happening all over the place in these pockets and, and us not being in, in harmony with what is needed to, to support um, her abundance, you know, and, and the food that we, that we receive from her. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting time. And, and it, for me, with regard to this topic, it, it's not about one thing, it's very multidimensional, and it requires action from all of us. And there is, um, we need to participate in our local government and show up and and I and I see a lot of disengagement because of this these like you, these concerns that especially have come through over the last three years that you know people have felt from especially like public you being you know you're a public health professional and you know here here there is like you're you're speaking to this disconnection of like what we've been trained what we know from the science and then what actually happened right and what and so I just hope that this inspires people to act more, right? To show up more and say, like, we do need to reclaim our food and our health. And this is, this is our chance, you know, cause this is actually an opportunity for us right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, you know, and, and I think for those who have the luxury of participating in local government, because it is a luxury. It is a luxury. Um, I have participated. <laughs> And, you know, to sit for hours on end for the city council to hear what you have to say. Um, Not many people can do that. Right. Right. Um, So one of the things is for people to actually get together and create power in numbers so that, okay, maybe a representative from your group can come to the city council meeting and you can rotate or something like that. Um, You know, also creating your own kind of decentralized connections for food in your neighborhood if you can if that's possible um i I mean i think that there's there's definitely an ability to make change through governments especially local government but i also think it's really important to know your neighbors and to um you know and to make those connections and to agree that you agree on enough things right to make change right 
I love that you said that. I, the connecting to neighbors, especially in these these urban areas, you know, we're like we're living on top of each other and we don't even know the person below you. You don't know what their needs are, who they are, where they come from. And and so if we can just connect more, I mean, they've studied this too, that the mental health, your mental health actually improves when you know your neighbors and when you're engaged with your community, right? So I love that. Thank you for bringing that into the space because I think that's huge. And and yes, absolutely. It's a, it is a privilege to be able to sit through a council meeting where you're not even acknowledged by the council. Even if you like take, get your three minutes to speak and share the complete, it's, it's a totally ridiculously like, um, I mean, it's a horrible feeling, you know, like I know I was really involved in my local government in El Cerrito, California. And I was like, which is supposed to be one of the most progressive, progressive. I say that with quotes, um, <laughs> cities in America. And, and it was the most undemocratic process I've ever experienced. Uh, so yes, absolutely. Forming groups, coalitions where, because people, again, all of us are working and not everybody has that luxury. So it is really about mobilizing locally with our neighbors and connecting. And it's like, what are you growing? Do you have a little garden in your back? Okay. Can we trade? I'm growing this, or I can offer this. I can like, how can we move away from the confines of this economic structure and, and, and coming back to like, like food exchange exchanges, like gift, gift economy style. Right. Yeah. This dependence exactly. right, on outside, you know, forces doing for us. And it's a scary thought, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a city person. Like I didn't grow up on a farm. Right. I'm just like, so how do I do this? You know? Um, right. And I think, you know, just one of the things like I, I have a new neighbor now and I just happened to run into her the other day and I was like, Hey, I'm Vivian, you know, just, yeah. What's your name and what do you do? And what you like, mm-hmm. you know, just really getting, showing an interest in people and getting to know them. Um, I remember there's a program that I loved watching. It's called What Would You Do? I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was kind of like um like a candid camera show, but it it was about, you know, presenting somebody with a choice and seeing if they do mm, the right thing. Right. Mm, mm-hmm, and one mm-hmm. of the things that they showed is people were sitting on a beach, um, you know, they laid towels next to each other, and one of the one of the people walked away without saying hello, without kind of acknowledging their neighbor. They walked away and left their purse there and they wanted to see if the purse would get, if it got stolen, whether the person who was still there would say, don't do that. Right. Or start or intervene in some way. Exactly. And yeah. sure enough, you know, the people who just took a moment to say, Hey, how's it going? Are you having a good time or whatever? Those people defended their new kind of neighbor's property. So um, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be huge, like start small and say, you know, to say hello, maybe take a, take some home baked cookies. I know it's super like uh, 1950s to do, but I mean, we could do that. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, everybody loves cookies, right? Most of the time. I mean, and there's so many different kinds of cookies <laughs> you can do like, you know, super healthy, yummy raw cookies, you know, too, but Um, yeah, I love that. I love it. Again, coming back to that human connection, right. And, um, food connection to, uh, again, needs and how we can support each other. Um, 
And I'm curious, Vivian, like coming back to your perspective of as an Armenian woman and how has that shaped your your view on what's happening right now around food and health? And I know you shared a little bit about your father, but like how has that shifted the way that you see what's happening right now in the world with regard to our health and our sovereignty? Well, I should say I was born and raised here in the United States. Um, I'm first generation U.S. My folks were born and raised in Iran. So they actually never got to see Armenia, right? Mm. Um, but Armenia has always stayed food sovereign. Um, and part of the re- one of the reasons is just because they've stayed small, right? Um, and they've gotten smaller and smaller because you know, different neighboring countries have stolen land from Armenia. And in fact, there's a food uh, sovereignty situation happening there now um, at the border of Azerbaijan or Artsakh, I should say, which is a, you know, a disputed Armenian territory. We say it's Mm -hmm. ours. The Azerbaijanis say it belongs to them. And now there's a blockade with truckloads of food sitting there, not getting into people. Um, wow, the border. So, um, you know, I think food is coming to a head everywhere uh, across the world. And Armenians have always grown their own food. So even though they would really appreciate and, and probably benefit from the food that's been sitting there and the water that's been sitting there, um, they have this ability to grow their own food because they always have in their backyard. And that is priceless. So, um, in the United States, that is a, you know, a big disconnect for us. We're used to shopping at the supermarket. We can't imagine not being able to get food at the supermarket. And, um, I think it's important just to, you know, either find a community garden or find a neighbor who has a garden, or if you have, you can grow your own garden, um, as much food as you possibly can, um, I think it's it's super important because as you know or may have heard with um, companies like Bayer and Syngenta, they are patenting seeds. And I mean, the audacity wow. of, of the patenting of a seed, first of all, to become resistant to crops. And then on top of that, um, if that particular seed should be blown by the wind to a neighboring organic farm, they sue the farm and say, we owe, we own this land because our seed is growing on it. I did hear about that. I heard, I heard about that Monsanto uh, being behind a lot of that and, and Vanda Nashiva and her, you know, her speaking to the patenting of the, like the the seeds in in India. Mm -hmm. So, wow, that is, so that's happening here is what you're saying. with Bayer and and them suing farmers for that oh yeah it's been happening for decades now (laughs) wow oh my gosh so So, I mean it sounds like farmers really I mean again coming back to if we come back to our food and our health right like even the farmers need mm -hmm. our support right now you know and for their mental health and also for them to continue to they're so so critical right like they're they grow our food Absolutely. And farmers that are growing our food in, in a sustainable way, 
I, I really, I understand when I say this, that it could sound a little bit bougie, right? Because we, again, we associate like farmer's markets with, you know, women with lattes walking around and, you know, $10 for a loaf of bread. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we could just start to kind of look at food as not just what it looks like on the outside, but kind of what went in on the inside and what it's going to, you know, produce for you, right? You're not going to, you're not as likely to get diabetes. You're not as likely to get cancer. Neither is your farmer. Um, isn't that kind of health insurance? And, you know, maybe we eat less, eat half as much, but we eat quality products. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about it a lot and I understand that, you know, it's a sensitive topic and it shouldn't be this way. Like we should be able to uh, grow food healthfully, produce, you know, bountiful amounts of it without, you know, throwing most of it away and uh, for people to enjoy healthy food. Like that should be a human right, clean water, healthy food. And the fact that we think and have been conditioned to believe that, oh, we need bountiful amounts of food. Um, you know, with chemical pesticides, we can grow 10 times or 20 times as much. Yes, but if you really could look into inside that loaf of bread, it would look empty, right? Mm. It looks like the same loaf of bread, but it's actually devoid of nutrients. Mm. And it's mm. filled with chemicals. And it's not it's not nourishing you, and it's adding chemicals into your system. So... And how did those practices come to be? Those these these chemical farming practices, mm-hmm. um, you know. Some I, I mean, I will say that a lot of health practitioners I know, you know, and for those out there listening to the show, like we're we don't again we don't learn this in in our ed- medical education because there's no education on food or nutrition. So, like, how did we get to this point here where we are eating foods that are devoid of nutrients, where we Right. You know, and, and how does that connect to our, our health and the healthcare system in itself? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it started with the Dust Bowl and, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt wanting to um, make sure that we never ran out of food. And so it started with good intentions. And right. When you first start using chemicals, your soil is still pretty healthy. So mm. as the decades pass, it gets less and less healthy more and more full of chemicals, less nutrients, more chemicals over the years. And so the farm bill of yesteryear, right, uh, really needs to be reconfigured to um, to feed the soil. Because as I think it was actually Roosevelt who said um, that, you know, a population is only as healthy as its soil. Don't quote me on that, but I think it wow. was. Wow, okay. And, and that's the truth. And the doctors, again, of yesteryear would say the same right? Um, Mm -hmm. Kids grew up eating a little bit of soil with their vegetables homegrown. And that's where they got their vitamins. We didn't take vitamins in bottles before we got it from soil. So it matters where your food grows, just like it matters. Like, let's say you have a recipe for cake, right? (laughs) And instead of flour, you decide you're going to use like sawdust, right? Are you going to get the same product? It's as simple as that. You're not going to get the same product if you grow in soil that's like got nothing in it but chemicals. You're going to get yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, totally. And and it's interesting that, you know, when we talk about this, like the fact that it is a luxury and a, and a privilege to get food that does not have chemicals 
is a social justice problem, right? Like that is a huge issue. And when, like you're saying, and I 100% agree that it is a basic human right, that we should be able to eat food that is not full with chemicals that actually gives us the nutrients we need. So then we don't become again, dependent and and start to get into this loop of dependency on um, external inputs, right? Like vitamins, medications, um, going to the grocery store, so many things, right? Yeah. So, you know, wow. I don't know how much you've delved into Ayurvedic medicine, but you know, mm-hmm. Ayurvedic medicine is thousands of years old, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Indian, even adult Indians will tell you, right, is, is that, um, even their parents into their thirties and forties will be like, did you have a good, you know, did you have a good poop? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. And there, there is so much wisdom in that. Like Ayurveda has always said, health begins and ends in the gut. Hippocrates said the same, you know, traditional Chinese medicine said the same. And these are thousands of years old. Like these are holistic healthcare systems that actually have so much wisdom baked into them. And now we're beginning to see, Hey, wait a second. People who have these neurological conditions, people who have cancer, all of it starts in the gut. You start to see changes in the gut. So, um, hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. And, and actually I just recently read a statistic that nine out of 10 Americans have some sort of gut issue, whether it's IBS, whether it's Crohn's, whether it's, you know, um, some sort, and and, I mean, we know that those are all preventable illnesses, right? Like, and, and also when we talk about mental health, right. And now we know that 90% of your serotonin is created in the gut. And, and there's like, so hello, it's, it's like, how can we, how can we start to shift towards more holistic medicines where that are accessible to people? Um, Ayurveda. Yeah. Speaking of Ayurveda, I, I have, um, that actually turning to Ayurveda is what got me to six. It was the transition piece for me to wean myself off of SSRIs, ADHD medications, and benzos that I had been taking to completely numb myself because I was not receiving any support in the hospital as a bedside nurse and just, you know, burnt out, exhausted. And it was through the, those practices because they're so holistic yoga, meditation, herbs, understanding like the environment and where you live, community, all of these things. And it was like, whoa, wow. Like, like you said, this is, this exists. Why is this not part of our health system? Why don't we all know about this? So yeah. it's, well, the seekers will always find it yeah. um, or, or ideally, I mean, yeah. I, I hope that, I hope that in every generation, there's a generation that, you know, there's somebody, a few people that pass on this, this information, because I do think that there's a reason why it's difficult to find or that you have to have a special interest in it to find out about it. And again, to, to have this, you know, preconditioned idea that, no, I don't think, I don't think nutrition could help me, you know, right. It's got to come in a pill. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just so difficult to, um, it's, it's something that has to be embodied because, you know, obviously we know we can't change anyone by just telling them what to do. And, 
and it should come from them. But what I've found is that, and what I've seen is that, and studies have shown that, you know, Americans don't feel like they're getting support from their physician unless they walk away with a prescription. So it really, to me, I mean, do you think this is more about a culture shift, if anything? Yeah, I mean, I think there should be choices, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I met a gentleman who I think he had, I think he had very high cholesterol and heart. He was taking like a whole bottle of pills on a daily basis. And he's like, I'd rather take my pills than and have my fried chicken, you know? And that's, yeah. you know, that's his choice, that's right? That's his choice, right. Um, but not to offer any other choices, you know, not even to train doctors on nutrition. Um, even, you know, a lot of doctors are finding out for themselves how nutrition can help and, and, you know, taking programs that actually teach them <laughs> a, right. a little bit more so they could really help their patients. But, um, and that's the way it should be, right? I mean, if we're going to doctors, you would think that they should, um, they, they should be the epitome and walking example of health yeah. yet. And yet we know that that's not the case. You know, physicians have the highest rate of suicide among any profession in the, in the country. I think the the next one is farmers are close. And farm, exactly. I was going to say, and then farmers are second. And yet they're supposed to be helping people with their health, right? So, right. Talk about a disconnection there, you know? So if, if we could start with this education for doctors that is, uh, a f- creates a felt sense, right? Then they, then maybe that would be able to ripple out into their patient population and even to like a, at a policy level, right? Like, yeah, you know, what I see and I see that will um, shift this is money. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think money will shift this. And because the healthcare system has become so expensive and Yes, taxpayers are subsidizing part of it, so that'll hopefully wake a lot of us up very soon. Uh, but the government is also subsidizing a lot of that. So um, once that kind of dam breaks, yeah, I think that there will be, and it's close. <laughs> I, I feel think that there will be huge opportunities for more holistic change. We yeah. really can't go on doing what we've been doing, you know, business as usual for for very much longer, right? Um, Right. Something's got to give. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that so many of us, and again, physicians and healthcare practitioners and public health people are waking up to this and understanding that it's because they're feeling it too, right? It's not just, it's not just something they're seeing in their, in their patients or their clients that they work with. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 You know, a part of a, a big part of this too is allowing physicians to actually continue being physicians. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of physicians now work for a medical groups, so they don't feel like they can actually speak their mind or like to their colleagues, to the public, to their patients, and that's a huge issue. Um, I'm grateful that there are certain doctors that are in a high enough place and working for their own who are actually calling attention to what real science is, mm-hmm. um, what real evidence-based science is, like Dr. Bhattacharya, which I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, He's at Stanford, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough place to be for him mm-hmm. to to share that kind of information. So really grateful for um, these truth tellers who are looking yeah, at cur- science and, and, you know, really kind of putting themselves out 
to be able to share this information. Right. And that takes a lot of courage right now in this uh, cancel culture that we are experiencing and seeing kind of at these ridiculous, these crazy levels. <laughs> it's like you say something that goes against some narrative and, you know, your career, especially, um, you know, if you have any influence at all in any, in any way, you're, you're just completely censored. So um, absolutely. And thank you for bringing that into the space as well. Is there anything, I know we're kind of wrapping up this one by so fast. <laughs> I feel like I we could keep talking forever and we'll definitely have I to have, have you back on the show to share yeah. more. Um, but what is it that you would like to share? You've dropped so many pearls of wisdom here, but what is, you know, one thing that you want to share with listeners and, um, offer them to, uh, to this, this work and that you care so much about? Um, I would say open up your mind, (laughs) speak to people who don't agree with you uh, on a lot of important topics and keep an open mind throughout that. And, um, be open to having your mind change or changing somebody else's mind without, uh, canceling each other because you know no I don't think any of us like cancel culture I don't think any of us want to live in a world where you know you can't have a past or you couldn't have done something wrong in the past and you know evolved from that I mean isn't that what human beings are after all we're constantly striving constantly evolving and maturing hopefully um so I think it's really important to do that on a local basis on an individual basis And, um, don't, the thing that I've learned is, you know, sometimes I know a lot less than I think I know and, um, keep an open mind. So that would be one. (laughs) Uh, secondly, if you have access, um, to local food, definitely, um, get to know your local farmers, buy less, eat quality food. Um, learn to grow food as much as you can, even if it's like a potted tomato plant that grows so easily, like just find a little spot on your apartment, like patio or something and see how that feels because it's such, first of all, it's just a very different feeling eating from your own, mm. you know, toil, you've toiled on these tomatoes and you're so excited to pick them and eat them. And they taste so different too, mm. because you've tended that soil. So that would be second. And I would just say, um, you know, on the climate change topic, I just wanted to say one thing because you touched on it earlier. And I think we are being bombarded with information about climate change. And I don't have all the answers at all. (laughs) Um, But what I do notice is that, you know, um, we are exposed to what the powers that be expose us decide to expose us to. Mm-hmm. So I'd say keep an open mind about that and uh, just look out for any signs of, you know, for lack of a better word, propagandizing climate change to curtail people's individual freedoms. Um, mm-hmm. All of us want to live in a free world, I think. Um, and we, you know, in a, in a world that we collaborate with each other, but also that we can choose what we eat, where we go, et cetera, who we associate with. And so I think it's really important um, 
one, to watch our language and what, watch what we say about climate change, people created climate change, isn't what it is. It's actually corporate created climate change. It isn't the mm-hmm. people who chose this, it's the corporations. So I think it's really mm-hmm. important to be mindful of how we frame that. Yes. And also um, how we frame it in our own minds when we listen to the news, if we listen, if we have the bravery and the heart to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Thank you so much, Vivian, for sharing all of that. I, that I I don't even have anything to add. It's, it's just, you, you're so eloquently offered so many solutions and so much wisdom here with us today. And I want to thank you and really appreciate and honor the work that you're doing to courageously speak out and to advocate for community health in so many different forms. And so thank you so much for for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to, to talk with us today. And I also want to share that you have, um, you you also have a, a blog as on shrooms doc, oh, right? uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like how can people stay in touch and follow your work and, and connect, you know, to what you're doing? Sure. So I'm not a huge social media person, but I am trying to get with the program. Um, <laughs> Um, I am on shroomer.com. Shroomer. That's right. I said shrooms, but you know, my mind, my mind, my mind is. <laughs> yep, no worries. Um, so I write about food as medicine and in, in particular about uh, mushrooms as medicine, um, yeah. but also other different medicinal herbs. So check that out. And then I am also at, I actually have to look cause I don't even know what my handle is, but I think it's, uh, nutrition underscore with underscore a underscore mission yay (laughs) so perfect and i'll put the i'll put all those in the show notes too so people can access them for us and again thank you so much for being here and uh, we'll definitely have to have you back to dive more deeply into these topics i i feel like this is just a little a little introduction into the the vast uh you know the wealth of knowledge that you have to share with us so so thank you again vivian Oh, that's so kind of you. And thank you for the invite. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you all again for being present and curious about this topic. I hope that it serves you, that you feel inspired and that you learned something. Check out the show notes too, so that you can connect more with Vivian's work. There's some rabbit holes you can go down with her awesome writings. And today's music for the show was brought to you by Universal Knowledge, a dear brother of mine that's creating some beautiful conscious rap and hip hop. This track that he's going to close us out with is called Most High. Please do connect with him anywhere you stream music and on Instagram. Again, Universal Knowledge, all one word. Thanks again. And until next time. Yeah. Universal knowledge Give thanks and praises To the most high Ja, Guru Dev Thank you for your light For your love and your guidance May we all be free Hey, God.
God is the ocean of bliss Such it the none Let's let's dive right in Cause love is patient And love is kind Love is the essence of the divine So take a deep breath right now with me Magnetize all your energy Up the spine To the point in between the eyes May your eyes be single and full of light May your heart be one and one unite With the spirit, soul, energy is so bright Gotta give it to the children and the youth The science of the soul, yeah It's the only truth that the people really need Abolish all the greed Abolish all the evil Love and the peace Remain in the streets Remain in your brain Universal knowledge Give thanks and praise to the The greatest gift in life is the Guru's grace So meditate and find your inner place Let your whole soul and body vibrate With the consciousness of the higher octave Of the conscious dimensions and the frequencies Meditation will lead you to your destiny So open up your heart and let it be Give thanks and praises to the holy tree of life whose roots are running down everything in life is is a conscious sound every single day just pray on the ground for the roots rising up and the tree will come around from the root to the crown and all the way back down hear the inner sound straight from the ground all the way to the top this the science of the soul give thanks and praises chain honey bowl and praises to the most high and remember that God is within you how long will we keep knocking on an open door everything we want is already here right now in this moment with this breath you are free To the most I, 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 to the most I,